Welcome to the Awakening Podcast. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. I'm also a podcasting coach, and I've got four other podcasts, the meditation, the speaking, the learn Polish, and the crypto. And you'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five star rating, and share with your friends. I know I'm asking this at the start instead of the end, but it really helps, especially for this one. So my guest, he's back again, thankfully. He's he was on episode number 200, and I highly encourage you to go back to that. Author, activist, actionist, co-founder of Rights to Homes, a nonprofit, and I big. And I mean, I have both of his books. He's a fantastic author, but they're 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 a hard read because they're based on true life. And somebody on episode number 200, who I know he's actually a, a very popular uh, podcaster, Mind Wars, absolute excellent interview, the depth and deep spoken felt like you were immersed in Tom's circumstances both Roy and Tom with well over 200 court cases combined speaking from first-hand knowledge of everyday fraud and deliberate corruption by government and the court systems it doesn't get more real and honest than that keep them coming Roy and Tom I tip my hat to you and wish you every success in getting victories in a tyrannical system set up against every man and women so Tom Darcy, welcome back to the show. Right, thanks very much for having me on. So, I know you have a very important court case coming up on Tuesday, but what I want to do is just touch on some of the stuff that I have read in this book, because, to be honest with you, I had tears in my eyes reading it, because I I, I could understand the feeling of how people are going through when they get evicted. We might just start off with the woman in the care, because not everybody understands what's actually happening when you're kicked out of your house. Yeah, unfortunately, this has become more and more prevalent. Back in 2010, it was literally 10, 15 people a day. Then during COVID, obviously it dried up because of the courts had were in reset. But I've noticed that now in the last year, I'm getting more and more calls because I'm vocal, because I offer assistance free of charge to every person, not only in Ireland, but in the UK, even in America, Australia. I've had people actually sending me messages telling me that they've adopted some of the information that I offer in their own jurisdiction. But again, when you're facing eviction, it's very hard for the average person because it's only a word. I've experienced it firsthand. I was evicted in a violent eviction. My eldest son was knocked unconscious and hospitalized. So I know exactly what it feels like to have eight men in balaclavas kick your door down and to deal with members of Angarda Shirkona, the Irish police, just standing there idly by doing nothing while your child is being knocked unconscious. Um, for the people in Ireland, there is no alternative. There is no access to justice. And that has been the major problem for the last 14 years. And if just going back, because I think it's very relevant, on the time with your son, the sheriff actually walked on your son as well, I believe. Yeah. Did indeed. Um, and again, this was videotaped. And the guards were standing directly in, at the microphone door. The and just for those listening, guards are the Irish police. We, we yeah. call them the Gardaí. The Irish police were standing at the door. I was talking to them, telling them that there's no paperwork, there's no 
uh, order from court for an ejectment order, which is you need when you're not getting voluntary um, surrender. And then I heard a shout uh, and there was some athletes used and profanity. And I turned around and I seen my son, he's six foot one and he was about 15 stone and he was being pushed. Um, he was flying towards me and he hit his head off the concrete. And there was eight guys behind him in balaclavas all laughing. Now, David went, he was unconscious and I'd done first aid. So I put him into recovery position. But as he was still unconscious, I was trying frantically to make sure his airways were clear. Now, again, I, I was screaming at the guards to, to call an ambulance. And the guards were doing nothing. Literally, they were doing nothing. I had my phone out. And just by chance, a member, a photographer from the Sunday or Sunday Independent was outside. He actually took a picture of me standing over my own son's unconscious body and phoning for an ambulance. Well, the sheriff went out through the door and then he came back and walked on my son who was unconscious to the applause of the guys behind me. And because he got the applause, he actually walked back out again on top of him. Now, that in any jurisdiction is assault. I told the guards, I said, you've just seen what he's done. He's assaulted my son. Of course, unfortunately, the police seen nothing, which is the common ailment of our police force, that they don't see any infraction or any criminal behavior when it comes to the actions of the banks and the receivers and sheriffs. So he was hospitalized. Now, ironically, I had appealed to the Supreme Court and I, I demanded to see uh, superintendent of Angar Chiacona, the police force. Now, a, a sergeant arrived up and I said to him, how ironic is it that I have an appeal into the Supreme Court of Ireland and you're down here endorsing the eviction of my family while I have an appeal? Now, I said, what are you going to do? I said, if I win. I said, that'd be akin basically to me being on death row and having a, a part, seeking a pardon from a governor and then being brought out, executed, but then winning my appeal and being pardoned. What are you going to do? Dig me up. And of course, he could see, you know, how irrational, illogical it was. But unfortunately, that's the judicial system in Ireland. And it is happening every day. I'm getting call after call after call from people asking me where to go, what to do, what will they do this evening? When you wake up at six o'clock in the morning and you have somebody kicking your door down, uh, you go into a state of panic. You don't know what to do. Your children are screaming. Nobody has gone to the loo or washed their teeth or done anything. And they're being dragged out of their homes in their pajamas. Their guys are walking around in balaclavas. It, it's like a scene from a horror movie. And this is real life. Children are standing urinating on themselves, petrified, shaking. I've seen grown men urinate on themselves, kneel down and cry and beg. And none of this has been reported. It is an absolute atrocity, and it's happening daily. It's the highest form of cruelty. It's inhumane what's happening to Irish families. 
and it's happening on a daily basis. A couple there recently went out to work on a Monday morning. A receiver who's, who doesn't have the authority in Irish law to attach or evict an, a family from their home came in with tugs. When they went out at eight o'clock, by nine o'clock, they had a steel door welded over their front door and cages across the window to prevent that couple getting back into their home. Where do they go? There's no emergency accommodation in Ireland. You can't get a hotel room unless you can afford two to 300 euros a night. There's no emergency accommodation. The last facility was that they'd give you a tent, but if you pitch your tent in the public park, it's taken off you. If you go to a public beach, it's taken off you. You've nowhere to go. So you find yourself on the street, nowhere to go, nobody to take you in. All your worldly goods on the street. Your neighbors are sitting, standing there, looking through the windows in disgust and awe and in fear because they have just witnessed what could possibly happen to them. And you go on Facebook, you, you look on TikTok, and you see this guy called Tom Darcy who is giving out free information. And unfortunately, in my first book, I called myself Alex Schindler because I was getting thousands of emails a week. And you look through the subject bar and you see somebody saying they have cancer or their child has Down syndrome or their husband has leukemia. And you're trying to select who to help. And no matter who you're going to select, they're going to take at least an hour to ring them, to find out where they are, what situation they're in court. And 99% of people haven't any understanding, no knowledge. There's no services in Ireland for people who are facing eviction or allegedly in debt. And that's the biggest problem. All of this, I set up a company called IBIG, the International Banking Investigation Group. We ran an ad on OTE for two months offering free mortgage checks. We had over 12 billion in overcharging before we were closed down by the Central Bank and the Financial Conduct Authority of the UK, ironically. Every mortgage that we checked, fixed variable tracker prime, they were all overcharged which means that the majority of people who found themselves homeless were actually not in arrears. So when they went to MABS and the mortgage arrears uh, protest, or, or if they even went looking for insolvency, they didn't have the correct figures. Most we even found weren't even in debt. They should have been in the black. So the whole thing is being silenced. And not no one way. person, I assume, has ever got that money back from the banks that overcharged them. There has been two people. One was a solicitor, ironically. Uh, he char he sued them for the 78000 But the biggest problem here is, and what is happening in America, and it has happened for the last five years, is the consequential law. Consider if you were never in arrears. And... From day one, they were overcharging you. So in the first year, you should have, you, you'd have a surplus of four grand on the average mortgage. So then year in, year out. So after five years, you have about 25 accumulated loans. 
Now that 25,000 could have gotten you further on in business, paying for your, your son's college education that you couldn't get or you couldn't afford, paying for palliative care for your parents that you couldn't afford. And it goes on and on and on. The average person we consider was overcharged over a 20-year period for, of about 70,000 euros. That's just overcharging. But then you've got the big issue of consequential loss because of it. The injury was the charge. But what's the compensation for being overcharged? And that word overcharging, I don't like it for the simple reason is it's theft, it's fraud, it's larceny. It's not an accidental overcharge. It's deliberate, it's orchestrated, and it was premeditated. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. There's one story of the lady in the car, and I'd like you to go into details with that before we delve into your case, because it's like... I, I believe, and I mean, I've got a lot of listeners all over the world, big in America, the UK, and Ireland, obviously. And it looks like there's a second wave because of all the increases going on and everything. And I know that there's a lot of people in default in America. They were do, using kind of COVID things to give them money, and that's they've turned off the tap for that. And it's apparently, from what I'm hearing, going to be worse than what it was in 2008. Most people won't even know till it happens to you, unfortunately. But you might let me just re re retell that story of the lady that was living in a car. Okay. Um, and just on that one point, we have had eight increases in mortgage rates in the last 12 months. Now, the average family have got, it's gone up by 800 euros a month. So when you tally that up over the next 12 months, you're looking at a minimum of 5,000 euros. So where is that going to come from? as well as your utility bills doubling, if not tripling. And even today, we've had the toll bridges in Ireland going up. We have fuel going back up at the end of August and September. So anyway, that's the story. And sadly, it is one of hundreds I hear a month. Um, I wish I could say that it's unusual, but it's not. And... You couldn't have blood in your veins if it didn't affect you. And it does affect me every time because in a way I feel guilty because I couldn't save them. I couldn't help them. And I, people just ring me out of the blue. And I always stop no matter what I'm doing because I always know that this person could end up taking their life. I have been notified of over 316 people who have taken their lives. I have gone to countless suicide funerals. And I know the travesty of what these people are living with. The lady in question was in, she was evicted. It was another violent eviction. Um, she, her husband, unfortunately, like, a lot of men um, had a nervous breakdown, became addicted to drugs. He ended up, he had his own demons and torments and he couldn't deal with the, the financial strain. She was left to cope. And then ultimately without notice, the sheriff and his balaclava men arrived in, kicking the door down in her little flat and literally dragged her by the hair out the door 
she couldn't get back in. She said she was wearing uh, um, pajamas and she needed to go to the toilet. She she was screaming. She thought she was going to be raped. And the children were screaming. And her little daughter literally was on the ground. And the guy picked her up like a doll, walked out and just handed her to the mother and started chucking out all the furniture. She said, within 30 minutes, there was nothing left. And I was standing in my pajamas, rooting through, trying to put stuff in bags, asking my neighbors for plastic bags. She said, I had a car start loading into the car. And she obviously thought, like everybody else does, that, oh, there's going to be some service or department of the government who are going to give us a house or give us a accommodation or give us you know rent or get us somewhere tonight but that wasn't the case and that was her first night in the car and as she said to me I, I tried to make it an adventure for the kids but her two youngest daughters um they had serious issues afterwards they couldn't sleep anybody would be seen in a navy uniform they'd go into hysterics they were petrified and she was dealing with all of that at that time. That evening, she said that she couldn't find anywhere that wasn't too remote that she would feel vulnerable. And of course, you're dealing with the inner city, you're dealing with drug users, you're dealing with people going around scoring, you're dealing with people who want to, you know, rob handbags and rob cars and everything else. And She's also sitting in a car where she knows social services could take her children. But there was nobody to help her, nowhere to go. And she was doing it for months. And eventually she rang me. And she was telling me that the night before they were sitting in an Aldi car park. And they had a game that they used to sit there and they dreamed they were the people who were filling the booths of their cars or trunks of their cars with all the sweets and everything else and dreaming of that life that they once had themselves and they'd nowhere to go and she was full of fear and she had dealt with so many refusals so many no hope so many dawns that she thought was going to be and unfortunately was all swept away and she said to me that she had contemplated every night taking her life that she had read about a guy months earlier when she was living in her flat of a guy up in Donegal who drove his car off the pier with three children. And sadly, they were lost their lives. And she said, I thought that was the most horrific, cruel thing to do in the world. But she said, I think about that regularly because we can't go on like this. She said, in the nighttime, if we want to go to the toilet, she said, and I know she said it's something that people don't think about, but we all have biological functions. And she said, we put newspaper down under the car. Uh, we always park the car on a corner so we can have the, the walls to shelter. And my daughter will climb over her siblings and get out onto the street and urinate and step onto the, the newspaper to dry it up. And we have a bottle of Tesco water to wash my children in the morning and baby wipes and we live like animals. That was her words. 
she said, you wouldn't treat an animal the way we're treated. And she said, we have kids banging on the roofs of the cars and we have the police coming and telling us to move on and with the general public passing us, looking at us like we're dirt, we're trash. And she said, I've done nothing wrong. She said, I tried to pay the arrears. And that's her life. But the worst part of this is she's only one of thousands. And of course, the Ukrainian war, um, there is obviously, uh, when you look at the issues that are happening in Ukraine, but in Ireland, we have serious issues of homelessness. We have serious issues that are affecting our bank criminal matters that have never been dealt with. That is escalating because since COVID, we're going to have at least another 20,000 people homeless in Ireland over the next three years and nowhere to go. So they're literally creating, the Irish state government, they're creating a, um, a form of conditioning in racial discrimination because as an Irish citizen myself, to witness that mother and hundreds like her being denied the basic right of a human being shelter and they're being denied that. And then to witness uh, an immigrant coming into Ireland and receiving not only uh, accommodation or a new house or a new apartment, but VOT and VAT off their vehicles, integration money, um, not only social welfare of an average of 300 euros a, month, a week, but also they receive any form of, of computers and telephonic communication. Like there's tens of thousands being spent on families, millions being spent. And yet Irish families are facing eviction with no access to justice. They have no accommodation when they're evicted. Their, their children, obviously the next day, they don't go to school. So they lose their place in school. Their education is seriously being affected. Their health is being seriously affected. And all of these issues, uh, I remember reading on um, a prison officer in Louisiana, and he didn't like the form of punishment that was being used. And he made a statement which I found very profound. He said, if you treat people like animals, don't be surprised when they act like animals. So I suppose and expect in years to come that the children that have been abandoned and ignored and treated like animals will have serious issues. And society will probably be surprised when they don't act the way they probably would have acted. But again, it's it's a thing that happens every day. And the worst part is, and you're a perfect example of it, the Irish media will not report a thing. Right now we have the media is full and sensationalism about uh, a presenter in Ireland called Ryan Turbot, that he was 
he got an extra 160,000 euros a year more than he should have. He only got, you know, his only salary was 360. The man was on over half a million a year, which is twice the salary of the president of the United States. Uh, there was no mention, and this is all just a whitewash because the Irish government are pushing through legislation. So our papers are full of the issue of over salaries for our, I suppose, infamous, famous people. But ju just on that, because the TV license that they make people pay, there's been old women locked up in prison because they couldn't afford for that. Yet the TV, the RTE themselves are so corrupt. Well, when you consider, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet here, but it is fact. Uh, my first book was endorsed by the Catholic Church. I have pictures in my second book of the Bishop's Council. It's the only book in the history of the world ever endorsed by the Irish Bishop's Council. That wasn't newsworthy as far as what he was concerned. As I said in the press statement, the only other book ever endorsed by the Catholic Church worldwide was the Bible. Um, it is the only book to ever identify systemic overcharging by all Irish banks. Um, it's the only Irish book that was ever raised in Dole Air in the Irish Parliament. No other book in the history of the state was ever raised. And again, I'm censored. Censored, censored, censored. I asked a question uh, two years ago. When you consider, and rightly you said in regard to the TV license, 180 to 200 million a year goes to OTE, which their board of directors are appointed by the state. Um, during COVID, they received 360 million, yet they weren't spending that money. And we're all led to believe that everybody equally received 350 euros uh, payment to stay at home. Well, I was wondering with that 360 million, did RTE staff only get 350 euros a week? Uh, that's probably another scandal that nobody will ever hear. But when you consider that after the two years, even though RTE weren't paying everybody because they weren't there, they actually had no money. They were running at a deficit. How is that possible? But this is a state body that just like our government, just like our judicial system, it is all government orientated. It's not politically advantageous to be what I am, which is a whistleblower. And we all pay the price in this country. We have had numerous whistleblowers locked up and silenced and gagged. Your listeners uh, will never hear of these individuals. We're not told of the demonstrations in Paris. We're not told of the assaults and serious um, activity that's happening by illegal immigrants. Um, we don't see any of that because we're given this puritanical image of immigration in Ireland. And this is the brilliant setting that they're brought into. Ironically, every TD in this state knows how bad homelessness is, the crisis is, but unfortunately they've never issued or even considered it be a housing emergency or a housing crisis. Because we literally have the right and provisions within the EU to 
refuse immigration, to allow us to address our own issues, but that won't happen because we have so many government friends who owned hotels, who owned reception areas, who owned caravan parks, who are builders, who are making billions from building houses for Ukrainians and all other nationalities. And I I heard about a month ago that the amount of money, it was like 400 euro per month per bed, per bed, not per room or whatever, it was doubling to 800. So they, they're just looking after their own. Of course, and when you consider we've had Miley Cyrus here in Ireland, and the night that she was on, hotels were charging up to twelve hundred euros for a bed for a hotel room. So this whole thing, we can limit the price, we can cap the price on alcohol and minimize the price on on alcohol. We can. I put up a post there on TikTok, which got me into a bit of trouble. Uh, ironically, Bacardi in Ireland is bottled in Diageo, which is in Dublin, and Coca-Cola is manufactured on the Mace Road, which is in Dublin. And I just picked one other commodity, which was a block of cheese, which comes from Dublin. Uh, in any of the local stores in, in Dublin, some stores, Tesco, Little, whatever, uh, that bottle of Bacardi is 35 euro per litre. The 24 tray of the Coke is 16 euros. And the cheese is 350. You travel up the road up into Nuri, which is in Northern Ireland, which is governed under the English legislation. That same bottle of Bacardi, which is transported from Dublin, is 19 euros. The 24 trays of Coke, uh, 24 cans of Coke, is 10 euros. And the cheese, Irish cheese coming from Ireland, transported up to Northern Ireland, is 199. Um, that shows you it's nothing got to do with the Ukrainian war nothing whatsoever got to do with fuel prices it's solely got to do with capital and being ignoring the basic right of the people of this country capitalism they call it um, to me it is economic terrorism when you have people who are being forced to select whether or not to turn on the heating whether or not to use their, their electricity and now cutting back on food because done stores can make an extra 150 million euros in profit a year or Tesco made over a billion last year. Uh, the profits of these conglomerate companies are going up by the hundreds of millions annually and yet uh, there's not a word being said about it because if you look our, our government, uh, we have the Fine Gael, uh, Labour government who invited vulture funds into Ireland. They said it was the best thing to ever happen, that they're going to solve the banking issue. Then we bestowed them with charitable status so they didn't pay tax at all on the billions for evicting Irish families. Then they gave, changed the legislation when they realised that these people didn't have banking licence, didn't have any licence to trade in security. These are only pension funds, hedge funds. These are just ordinary companies coming in. Now, all of a sudden, the Irish government are bestowing them banking status, forcing over half a million people into a contract with somebody they don't know. Can you imagine that in any situation? That if you bought a car tomorrow, 
and a year's time you're told, sorry, uh, the pet shop down the road has bought your contract. And that's who you're dealing with. And I won't tell you how much they bought it for, nor are you going to get any guarantees or protections or warranty. That's exactly what's happening. And then our Irish government decided, okay, well, we'll give you a banking license now, so you can actually start charging interest. So we have these vulture funds who were operating criminally, illegally, with no banking license, no securities license, and charging people interest of 7%, putting their mortgage at nearly a thousand euros a month extra. No wonder there's so many people facing homelessness. There's no wonder there's an epidemic of people who are homeless. Over 12,000 Irish families. Sorry, 12,000 people. When I started this, there was only 800 people homeless in Ireland. Now we have 12,000 recorded, but that doesn't take into account those who were couch surfing, those who were staying in the back garden of a friend. And unfortunately, it's going to get worse. But there is a solution, but it's not a solution that is going to make people billions. So that solution won't be listened to. And unfortunately, our TDs, uh, have no interest in resolving it. Those that raise their, their vice in, in Dáil Éireann are very quickly characterised that as leprechauns, idiots, gobshites, excuse the, the pun of French, but that's the way that they're labelled. They're discredited. Like myself, um, I have sent thousands of requests and press statements to OT and I've never actually had an interview. I, as I say, I've written two books. I have exposed judges, ministers, um, political um, parties. I've exposed the inequality, the injustice in Ireland. I've exposed even Dennis O'Brien. And nobody has sued me for libel. Not one person. My latest book has given me an opportunity to to see exactly what's going on, to see what's happening with Irish families, the issues that you would find inhumane if you've seen this in a third world country. And unfortunately, Ireland has a lot of wealth, but that divide between those who have and those who do not is so vast now that I don't see any way of ever bridging it. We are going to have a lot of generations to come who are going to be quite resentful and probably resentful to the inactions of their own parents because I'm constantly asked, why aren't the Irish people revolting? Why aren't they on the streets revolting? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, before... The, the vaccines came out. I used to say that it was in it must have been in the water. There was uh, something that you had in the book from Charles Stuart Parnell, and I think I don't, I don't know if it's probably better coming from yourself because it's something that that's all we needed to do. Again, that was an era when there was no communication, there was no telephones. There, was, there wasn't even more code. And yet, 
you could get individuals up and down this country to use a quill and a letter to notify other people to amalgamate, but they had one general issue, a national issue of, we call them tyrants, coming in, landlords, English landlords, and evicting Irish families. And what they would do is that they would restrict certain areas on a farm, so the farmer had to go down to a different gate and it could be a mile down the road. Then he wasn't allowed to plant certain vegetables or uh, you have dairy. It was done deliberately because he wanted to get rid of the Irish tenant because he wanted to increase the rent. And then you'd have a lot of um, people coming together trying to, to stop it. And you had Charles Stewart Parnell, uh, who basically wanted to stop the eviction. And we, Jerry Beads and myself, uh, in 2012, uh, we resurrected the, the Land League. And we started the new Land League of Ireland, going around to eviction, stopping eviction, using uh, any tactic we could. It was always legal and lawful. And we got ourselves a name, uh, I suppose, not uh, an attractive name from the establishment. We were considered as um, activists who were trying to stabilize state, and we were considered to be anti-banking. But the reality is, is that we weren't anti-banking. We just wanted to identify all the issues of criminal behavior and practices that's still going today. If you consider that there's 168,000 vacant houses in Ireland, 168,000. There's over 30,000 hectares of residential land in Dublin alone. There's ghost cities, ghost towns all over Ireland. And yet we've only got on average 8,000 properties a year being sold on the platform, while the banks are sitting on mountains of houses, they're regulating the supply. They're the ones who give the finance, so they're dictating the supply and regulating the amount of houses being sold, which is another, I suppose, issue that nobody wants to talk about. The issues of the homeless issue and crisis in Ireland could be resolved tomorrow. And the issue of uh, the cartels, our utilities. We have the highest utility charges in Europe. We have the highest charges of interest rates in Europe. And yet we are one of the smallest countries in Europe. We have the largest debt of bailout in Europe. Twice, triple most countries. Uh, we have the highest rate of interest applied in the bailout negotiation. Ironically, and another thing that was never reported, our minister, Michael Noonan, was negotiating with Troika. Now, he was a bondholder, and he was negotiating with Troika to save bondholders. How idiotic and such an act of lunacy to actually ask a turkey to negotiate for Turkey for Christmas, because you know they're not going to do that. He 
ensured that every bondholder in Ireland, if not the world, who invested in an Irish bank would be bailed out, which is the equivalent of asking every person who backed today in a, on a horse, you know, they took a punt, you lost, but no. In Ireland, the government makes sure you win, at least their own did. And there is so many. I, have, I took an ad out in the Wall Street Journal. It was in my latest book. And we ran it for a week. We ran an ad at the same time in USA Today, a readership of over 200 million people. I offered information of the behavior, criminal behavior of Irish banks, and I asked them if they had suffered a loss from an Irish bank to contact me. The story is in my book, Irish Tears and Nation Betrayed. What happened is something you wouldn't even believe on Netflix. Um, and this is happening all the time in Ireland. Everything is censored. Everything is silenced. And unfortunately, it will continue like that till we do have um, a national outcry. And sadly, um, I don't know what it's going to take. I truly don't. And I mean, everything that you've said, I mean, I, I like, as I mentioned, reading the book about that woman, there was tears coming to my eyes. But I know that you've got a very important court case. I believe it's on Tuesday. You might just let people know what's going on. Yeah, in a chapter in my book, uh, the latest book, uh, I say there's a chapter called The Supreme Court Ignores Its Own Orders. And one would merely ask the question, how could the Supreme Court of any jurisdiction ignore its own orders? Well, in my situation, unfortunately, I've had two Supreme Court orders that have been ignored. But basically, I'm in the Court of Appeal this Tuesday, and it's connected with the constitutional challenge against the Land Conveyance and Law Reform Bill, which we called the eviction bill. Back in 2013, 90 Irish TDs, top to all the members of the Irish Parliament, voted in favour of a new legislation to evict their own constituents. Again, that's something that wasn't reported in Ireland. But I reported it in my book and I named and shamed every Irish TD that voted for eviction. And that eviction bill um, denied a person the right to a plenary hearing. A plenary hearing is where you have a right to question and to question the people who are claiming a loss against you. That's denied to every Irish citizen. Now, my case on a Tuesday basically could stop eviction in Ireland. I'm not very optimistic on it, but I sit in a very unique position because while the legislation, the Land and Convention Law Reform Act, denies a person the right to a plenary hearing, the Supreme Court of Ireland ordered a plenary hearing for me. So I'm on one side ordered by the highest court of the land a plenary hearing, and on the other side, the legislation issued by the state from the state budget funds denies me the right to a plenary hearing. So it'll be unusual to see how that um, outcome happens. Also, it is, and I've said it on TikTok on my post, 
um, that I'm dealing with a judge who was blatantly biased. I walked into a courtroom with the state and state's two senior counsels and solicitors and aides and just myself. And the judge turned around and asked the state were they familiar with her ruling against me 12 months earlier. Now, the state weren't, but just by chance, the judge had a copy, a printed out copy of that judgment, which meant that the judge had gone off and printed it out, premeditated to give that to the state to use against And this shows a perfect example of the kangaroo court system, the biased dictation of the state who appoint Irish judges who rule in favor of the decisions for the government. And again, there is very few people down there who I've experienced it for 14 years. I've had, um, I actually clipped over 150 cases uh, recently. I was back in the courts again, the, while during COVID, um, the, my new creditors who I've asked, you know, who is the beneficial owner uh, of the loan? I know it's not every day because they're only a servicing agent. So I wanted to know who actually owns the loan. And again, you have, I received a demand letter from every day claiming the exact figure that the banks were claiming, but they didn't pay that figure. And in any other jurisdiction, if you claim and seek to be rewarded by way of deceit, fraud, or the misuse or the misleading of any form of documentation, that's a criminal offence. I went to Angarda Shiakon, authority of the Irish police, and identified the letter that they were seeking to be paid, and identified to them that that was coercion, deceit, fraud. The Irish police wouldn't take the case. Um, again, it's sadly so many things. We have the power of attorney of beneficial owner, servicing agent. What is a servicing agent? I give all the information, even affidavits that can be used in every jurisdiction in the world. It's on www.waitingfortheshariff.com and you will find a GDPR request um, on the second page for vulture funds, the first page for GDPR for banks. And to every person who's listening right now, um, irrespective of whether you're in the weirs or not, find out whether or not you were missold the product that you bought, that you thought was and you were told was the best product for you. And you thought you were going to have the lowest, cheapest rate. Find out whether or not you've been overcharged. Find out whether you've been illegally capitalized on arrears. Find out whether or not you were sold an insurance-like policy when you shouldn't have been, and even if you did, whether or not it was the dearest one when you've been overcharged on that. The whole issue of banking needs to be independently regulated. And as I say, my latest book has exposed so much in the form of the criminal behavior. The website gives information to every person. And I hope that 
this interview, by the way, is the first interview other than the last one we've had. So you're, this is the second one in the world that I've done. And I'm an author and a confirmed uh, registered whistleblower. And as I say, everything in my book uh, 100% true because I've never been sued for libel. And I mean, based on our previous conversation, I mean, I've like I've lost everything. They boarded up the house where, where I had and I was actually living in Poland because I didn't have the funds. And just the way that they'd done everything, got no information, my personal belongings, three properties that I had, got no information how it was sold or anything. Yet they came after me for the excess. On the securitization, I believe, because I, I read in your book about a, a South African judge saying that they should be criminalized for that. Like, So that's actually, you know, that, I think that's kind of relevant as well, that they don't acknowledge something like that in Ireland. Well, the, the backward case that was in Johannesburg, when I my uh, solicitor firm completed all my finances and they got over 140,000 euros in legal fees, they realized I was broke, I had no more money. So they said, look, Tom, just concede, hand over everything and walk away. And I said, no. So I started to study law and I started to investigate in banking. And I became very familiar with new cases. And this was back in 2010. Uh, and the backward case, the judge basically said that the concept of securitization is so nefarious, it should be criminalized. And again, when you mentioned the word about securitization, very, very few people understand it. And again, it's on my website, I explain in detail, in a simple form, what is really going on and how securitization works. And I think if the general public were aware of it, uh, it is shocking to consider that we have a system where a, you go to a bank and you want to borrow hypothetically 300,000 euros. Well, the bank doesn't have that money. So they go to their treasury securities and say, go out to the market, yield it over 25 years, see what the bondholders will give you, come back to us. They know they're going to yield that at about 1.2 million over 25 years. They get back 600,000. They give you three. They've already made three in profit. They then use the interest. They regulate the interest. And they manipulate the interest over the same period. They take out what's called default insurance or derivative insurance in case something happens. That insurance policy covers any loss. But they've no loss because they've already made a full profit. Plus they're charging interest which is, in most cases, above the agreed ECB Eurobar rate or the LIBAR rate. And this process went on perfectly until the crash. Then they needed the asset to tie up the whole thing perfectly to claim the default insurance. The idiotic Irish taxpayers actually bailed them out for the criminal behavior. And it was even proven in my first book that the Irish banks declared insolvency bankruptcy almost a year before they got bailed out. And this was all covered up. And again, it's in my book. Um, but the whole concept of securitization in the Irish form uh, 
when I'm talking to people in America, they actually think this is the funniest thing they've ever heard. The banks were operating criminally. They took out insurance to get paid for something they already got paid for by the Irish taxpayers, then sold the same thing to vulture funds, then claimed back full 100% from the revenue for a capital loss for something they never lost on. So it is only in Ireland that something like that could happen. But unfortunately, the banks have so much influence. And while there's tens of thousands of Irish families who have faced eviction, who've been evicted, they've had no legal representation, no legal advocate for them going to court. And one of the most deceitful, criminal, nefarious individuals in Ireland, John Quinn, head of Anglo-Irish Bank, walked into a court and he demanded because he claimed his civil rights, constitutional rights were being denied. He claimed the right to a legal, legal advocate. And he chalked up the highest payment in free legal aid solicitors of 1.2 million euros. And this man was a multi-millionaire. Now, that is our justice for Unfortunately, it doesn't, there's no justice for Irish people. But hopefully, the likes of your show, that we can get the information out there. And I think that if your listeners consider for one second that they've been overcharged, it'll give them an incentive to send, to download the free GDPR, read it, and send it off. It costs nothing. A GDPR request, there's no fee for a GDPR request. And literally, you will find out so much information. And even if you don't want it for yourself, maybe for somebody else, maybe a loved one that was who passed away. And you don't know whether there's an extra 20, 30, 40,000 euros that they were overcharged in interest. So I'm not going to cost you anything to do it. But one thing is for sure, the banks won't like those, those requests coming in, particularly vulture funds. Yeah. Fantastic. Listen, Tom, as always, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. How can they help you? And I like I'll put this out on Sunday so that like is there can people turn up in support? Is there anything that people can actually do that will help you on Tuesday? Well, it would be great to get support considering that um a gentleman who went to court on his own, he's a, a known crusader and advocate of the people, uh, Stephen Mannion, uh, he was the founder of Integrity Ireland. He went to court, his son unfortunately uh, has special needs. He went to court thinking that he would be home uh, within a matter of an hour. And he's sadly now incarcerated for three months. So it would be nice to have company um, in the, the Court of Appeal on a Tuesday. Um, again, it's something that we all live with, whistleblowers. We're all worried about whether or not we'd be picked up on the street. I've been intimidated, I've been threatened, I've been told that um, my actions could cost the state billions and people have lost their lives for a couple of grand. So again, and this came from journalists. So again, it, it's concerning, but to me, 
not to do anything is to endure the criminal behavior of those who care nothing of the people. Absolutely. So, like, waiting for the sheriff.com is the website. Is there any other handle? I know you're on TikTok. You might let people know the best place where they can find you. Well, I'm on my put up over 200 videos. I used to get, do a video every Sunday explaining to people how to, to use the the information I'm giving free and, and how to get invest, investigate the questions to ask these vulture funds. Again, the whole concept is, is that the average vulture fund is buying in between 8 to 14%. Now, you can just do the math on that. They're not entitled to charge um, illegal capitalized on arrears. Any interest before they came is questionable. You need them to quantify their loss. And again, the whole legal system, the arguments that the absence of representation is going to be raised on a Tuesday. Because I'm a perfect example of um, the rights of an individual being denied and ignored by the Irish court system. When you consider that the Attorney General, our new Attorney General, which is Russell Fanning, he was my nemesis when I was fighting in the court. He was senior counsel. And he ignored an order of the Supreme Court. Now, isn't that ironic to consider that our new attorney general, who just by chance is a very good friend of Leo Varadkar, who appointed Rothafani, uh, the youngest, uh, and some would even say, the most unqualified attorney general who ignores the order of the Supreme Court of Ireland. And he's the protector of the laws of Ireland. So that too is going to be mentioned on a Tuesday. Um, yeah, I probably will end up um, in a, a six by six cell, but let's see what happens. And again, I, you're the only person who's given me an interview. So many have said they would, but you are actually the only one that did. And I much appreciate it for you. Thank you very much. And listen, Tom, I thoroughly appreciate what you're doing for the people. And I know that the mindset when somebody is suffering, they're not in the right place. And it's very hard to have conversations and to try and guide them. But the fact that you're putting your life towards this, I commend you. And so for those that are listening, I'll have the links of uh, where to find Tom on the thing. I highly encourage you to get both his books. He's a fantastic author. His writing is incredible. It's a bit, it's a hard read, but it's something that you need to do. If you're annoyed with what you heard today, write to your TD, write to your, your counselors, get onto the media. Maybe if there's a thousand or a 20,000 people that actually write to the different channels they'll actually pay attention because to be honest with you tom's information should be shared everywhere so tom thanks very much and i'll definitely get you back i'd like to know how you get on but i wish you super success on tuesday thanks very much Ray. all the best bye-bye okay. no so that's all for the awakening podcast you'll find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org we're on BitChute and Rumble. We're not on YouTube. Got kicked off that one. And you'll find my further podcasts along with my coaching bio.link forward slash podcaster. Sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating. And when you get Tom's book, make sure you go into, whether it's Amazon or whatever, give him a five-star rating wherever you can or Goodreads. There's different places that you can just rate a book or even just post it on LinkedIn or Facebook and recommend the book because it all helps. Until next week, take care.